0: The following audio is from Gray City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Gray City Church is available at Gracitysd.com. Go to the aunt, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest— and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You'll pray with me. Father God, we come before you now and we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that we can read it and just come to know you more. Father, I pray that you just work through Scott today, that you speak the words that you have him to speak, Lord, that you just be his wisdom, that you be his, his peace and his words, Lord, I pray. Holy Spirit, that you open our eyes, you open our ears and our hearts, that we can hear the word that you have for us today. In Jesus name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning church and happy Labor Day weekend to you. I hope that you're doing well. I think because it's Labor Day, it's a good week to talk about work. And we've been in the series through the book of Proverbs where we're talking about wisdom and Proverbs has a lot to say about the wisdom of work. So let's talk about that today as we go through various Proverbs about work. Do you remember your first job? You know, for some of you, you're still in your first job, but for a lot of you, your first job was a long time ago. My first job, actually, I started when I was 15 and a half. I don't even know if you could do that anymore. I was 15 and a half and I worked for a construction company. I was the cleanup guy. I'd go into these houses that were finished and I would have to do some work to clean up messes or clean up things that were built incorrectly. I'd have to tear them apart. It was a great job. Maybe the best part of the job is they let me drive this truck around, which uh, I said, you know, I'm only 15 and a half, I don't have a license. And they said, so? Yeah, got to drive this truck around, taught myself how to drive a stick, and uh, never told my parents that. Hi, mom and dad. Yep, that happened. Anyway, uh, I worked for a guy who taught me a lot about work. And I hardly remember his name, but I do remember him vividly because of some things that he taught me about the value of work and working hard and working honestly. And he was this old, rough guy. He was super tall. And the reason I remember him is because he looked just like Frankenstein, like he really did. His head was like flat, not just because he had a flat top haircut, which was the thing back then, but his head was flat. His skin was green, he had bolts in his neck, Frankenstein. I can't, his first name I think was Cliff. He was Cliff Frankenstein, that's how I knew him. But he said that it is so important to work hard. And he didn't like it when any employee was sitting on the rear end, even if they were working hard to scrape things or work things or trying to get leverage. He would say, nope, you gotta be on your knees or on one knee and you worked hard. It was a great value and a great lesson that I learned from him. Well, in the Proverbs, we have a lot of values that are taught about work and how work really is a spiritual thing and how it's important. So I wanna talk about that today. And especially during this time where for so many of us, work is just a strange thing, right? Because of COVID-19, People's jobs are in jeopardy, even careers are in jeopardy, and I know that's true for some of you, where your career is changing because of this, or you have tremendous uncertainty about uh, your job, if your job's going to come back, if your job is still going to be there, or what it looks like. What I hope to do today is, through the book of Proverbs, give you a better perspective of what work is spiritually, and to give you some hope, and to give you some reason to keep working hard at whatever it is that you're actually doing right now. Proverbs has a lot to say about work, usually making a comparison between diligence and sluggardliness, honor and disgrace. You find the word sluggard a lot in the book of Proverbs. I think it's a word that we should bring back, you know, today. You sluggard. But it sounds more like a baseball term today, I guess, but it's not. A sluggard is somebody who is habitually lazy All right, somebody who is inactive, who isn't just lazy once in a while or has a lazy day, but that's just their character. They are the sluggard, they are lazy, and such a person doesn't take responsibility for his or her own life, that's the sluggard. Wisdom tells us that a wise person lives a life fulfilled with work. Proverbs 6, verses six through 11. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. It's quite a statement there. Proverbs 10, 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. You ever have a lazy person working for you and you ask them to do something and they just never get to it? smoke to the eyes, vinegar to the teeth. Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Proverbs 13, four, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square, which is the excuse that the sluggard uses for actually going to work. Proverbs 26, 14, As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. That is Hebrew for hitting the snooze bar. Think about it, a person laying in their bed, the alarm goes off, you gotta get to work, and you turn over like a door, onto your side to hit the snooze bar. I've been there, I used to be hit the snooze bar all the time. I had to stop doing that. You have to get up and get to work. So today, what is the wise way to look at our work? And the first thing you have to know is that you have to work diligently. Whatever your work is, work diligently. Proverbs 4. lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy, it literally means slack. And it's the idea that if you had a bow, like a bow and arrow, if the bow isn't tight enough and it has too much slack and you try to shoot the arrow, it's not gonna go very far. It's not gonna go straight. You're not gonna get any power behind it. That's the idea. It shoots, but it doesn't go straight. It's not very far. Diligent here probably means smart work more than just hard work. It means that you know when it's time to harvest versus when it's time to let things grow. You know when it's time to open or close your business. You know when it's time to vacation or not, that you're working diligently and also smart. Proverbs 28, 19, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. For a lot of us, we're chasing fantasies. We have some idea of what we think we ought to get paid or what kind of work we think we ought to have, but we don't want to work the land. We don't go get the education we need. We don't study the way we need to in order to get that particular job. I use this verse sometimes when I talk to people who are in MLMs, multi-level marketing programs. Have you ever been in one of those? I know some of you are, and I'm not mocking all of you. Some of them are scams, you need to get out of it. Okay, they just are, just the way it is. But some of them, there's actually a business there, and it's a business model that can work. But the thing is about them, is they go after you to chase fantasies. The idea that you can make a lot of money with this by not working hard at all. they show you pictures of people just laying out by the pool and they say, I'm making $10,000 a day Well, he's just, you know, drinking a soda and hanging out there in his little floaty at the pool. And uh, that's not how it works for most people. You actually have to work hard at it, right? It's for those who chase fantasies and they're full of poverty, what happens is you buy into those MLMs, and most people, 95% of people who do, never even make their money back that they put into it. That's why it becomes a scam. But the five percent who work hard, it can be a real job. You can be successful if you work hard, but you will not do well if you won't. Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-eight. The one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever protects their master will be honored. There's a paradox in there that's interesting. If you have a master, it means that you are a servant or a slave of some kind, but you will get high status and honor for being a good employee, for being good at what you you do. See, throughout the scripture, even the most menial work has dignity to it. All of it does. The teaching in Proverbs and throughout the Bible, by the way, is positive about doing work. And that's something that's important. That's a contrast with other religious texts. Uh, In the Greek legend of Pandora's box, you have creation first and then you have people in bliss and paradise, but then Pandora opens the box and inside it are all the human miseries that there are, death, decay, disease, sickness, aging, and even work. Work is not seen as something that is good. And an old Mesopotamian account of creation, the idea is that there's a lot of gods and they have made the world, but there's a maintenance fee and they've made the world for themselves and like, well, I don't wanna do all the work. So they create humans, to actually do the work for them and keep it up because the work was hard. So human beings were created to do labor so that the gods can just enjoy the place. That was the idea. In Genesis, we have something that's different than any other creation account. We have a God with his hands in the dirt. You see, working is not beneath God, even manual labor. Manual labor was particularly degrading in Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, but it's not for the God of the Bible. God creates paradise an ideal environment for human flourishing And he does something before the fall, before Adam and Eve take the fruit off and get kicked out of there, something amazing happens. They are instructed to tend to the garden. They are given work to do in paradise. It is important that right from the outset, we understand that doing work as human beings is something that is blessed, something that is God given, something that we should do, something that is a part of being human, part of human flourishing. There is no other religious text that associates work with great dignity and honor nothing other than the scriptures uh, in the big picture of things, especially when it has to do with creation and why we're here and why we exist. All classes of work in the Bible hold, are held in high regard. There's no distinction in the work done by kings or the work done by slaves or everybody in between. And when God shows up in the world, he doesn't come as a warrior or a general. Instead, he comes as a carpenter. He comes as a worker, someone who will work with his hands. And when God saves souls, He doesn't just merely save them. He also creates. He makes you a new creation. He's working on you. He's working on me. There is work. See, whatever work you wanna do, whatever kind of work you wanna do, it's spiritual work. There's something more to it than just the job. Because work was put in paradise, the thing is, is if you're not working or you're not doing work that you're proud of, ultimately you're being cut off from your humanity, from who you are meant to be, and there's an atrophy of your soul work has great spiritual value to it and it's not just about the job. You might have a job you don't want. You might have a job that you think is terrible that's you're just doing in the meantime to make some money so you can pay the rent. You know, that's okay. That's a job. You, we all have to do that in different parts of our life, but you can still do your work well even in that job and get some enjoyment out of doing whatever work you have to do in that job or maybe after work you have some place where you volunteer, some place where you give of your time, some place where you do the work that actually is great for your soul because it's how you were made. And you don't just need a job, by the way, to have work as we're talking about this. You all should be doing something with your time. If you're a retired person, there is work that you can be doing. There's volunteerism, you could go get a job. There's working in the garden, there's working in your neighbor's yard. There's so many things you can do to enjoy your work and to have the benefit of it. Even if you're on disability for a good reason and you have some reasons why work is hard, there's probably some work for you to do. There are certain things that you can accomplish that bring benefit to you and to somebody else because you're doing that work. And if you're on disability for a bad reason because you really shouldn't be on disability, you should get back to work and stop robbing the taxpayers because you're robbing yourself of the enjoyment of doing work and being paid for it and what you ought to be doing that way. The first thing you need to do is to learn to do your work. Proverbs 24, 20 verse four, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look but find nothing. The idea here is the lazy person doesn't know when it's time to harvest. They just get around to it when they do and then they look and there's nothing to harvest. They haven't done the work. They haven't even learned how to do the work. Part of the greatness of work is that we learn to do it. We get training, we read books, we get better at it. Whatever you think your work should be, however you think you are designed, whether it's a hobby or whether it's an actual job that somebody's paying you to do, never stop learning. Keep reading, keep staying up on things, learn the new techniques, understand how to do your job better, get better and better and better at it. There is great enjoyment for that. It is wise to do this, never stop learning. And you see, the world will never stop changing. It's going to continue to change and you have to adapt. If you do your work well, you will always have work to do well. But if you don't learn, if you don't adapt, eventually your work will go away. You won't be able to do it anymore and and you'll be behind. Always learn how to do your work and never stop doing that. So you can learn to do your work and you can work well, but you also need to have a certain motivation behind your work, scripturally speaking. There are a couple of motives of the heart that we learn from the book of Proverbs. First, you have to work in response to human community. You aren't just working for yourself. There's something that you're doing that adds value to the people around you. Proverbs 10 verse five, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Why son? Why all of a sudden is this talking about family? Well, there's a reason here. A failure in work life is failing family. All right, it's personal. It doesn't just affect you. It affects the people who are around you. It affects the people who are expecting you to get something done or the people who need you to get something done. And why, son? It's because other people are depending on you like family. And it talks about being a disgraceful son. Disgrace is not the same as guilt. Guilt is a failure to perform up to the standards that follow some rule you didn't do it. Disgrace is a failure to do right in the community. Disgrace is when the community is being hurt by your failure to do work. You should do and choose work more for how it helps society than for profit and personal advancement. See, basically, we have a job, whatever it is, and it can be the smallest, most menial task, or it can be something where you're in public service or whatever you wanna call it, or you're in ministry as a profession, or you're just doing some work for volunteer. You don't have to even be working for a nonprofit or something like that. Any job you have can benefit the community. You might be a weed whacker for the city, And what you do is you just whack all the weeds that are on the median strips of the highways. You know, you have a couple of goals there. Don't get hit by a car, but also make sure that it looks nice and it benefits the whole community because you do that. When you have that mindset, you understand that work is more than just doing a job and getting paid for it so you can have stuff. It's more than just about you. When we have a job, it's meant to be useful for the community. We've lost a lot of that in our culture today. It becomes so much about us and our own stuff and what we can have and how we can keep up with the Joneses or whatever, but it didn't used to be this way, even in our own country. There's an old writer, her name is uh, her name was Dorothy Sayers, and she wrote about a lot of stuff in between the world wars, and she wrote right after World War II, and she wrote this about work. She said, the habit of thinking about work as something one does to make money is so ingrained in us that we can scarcely imagine what a revolutionary change it would be to think about it instead of, instead, in terms of the work done. We should ask of an enterprise, not will it pay, but is it good? Of a man, not what does he make, but what is his work worth? Of goods, not can we induce people to buy them, but are they useful things well made? Of employment, not how much a week, but will it exercise my faculties to the utmost? And shareholders in, let us say brewing companies, would astonish the directorate by arising at a shareholders meeting and demanding to know not merely where the profits go or where the dividends are to be paid, not even merely whether the workers' wages are sufficient and the conditions of labor satisfactory, but loudly and with proper sense of personal responsibility, what goes into the beer? This was written at the end of World War II in response to a phenomenon of people in our country and around the world who are working hard to support the nation as a whole who realized that their work was not just for themselves and their own family, but for their entire community. A time where if you owned a factory or you owned a business in town, you wanted to make money. And if you were the owner, that was a possibility and you had the American dream of ownership and all of that stuff, but you were also concerned that every person in your town who wanted to work had a job. And you were concerned to make sure you could actually hire people to make sure that people had enough money to actually live in your town. And you were probably paid 10 times more than the lowest and paid employee at your company. That used to be the case. You know what it is today for the CEOs of our bigger companies? 100, 200, 300 times more sometimes than the lowest paid employee. That's an incredible change. And that used to not be tolerated. The the culture would have been outraged by that. And you wouldn't have done it because your attitude towards work was different. Our social fabric is unraveling in part because we're not thinking of work as something that is meant to benefit the community and benefit each other a social revolution would happen if we got back to that. Imagine our culture if that's what we were about. Basically, you can love any kind of work and it can be good. Now, there are jobs that you can't take, right? You can't be a drug smuggler. Okay, that, you can't do that. That's not good for anybody, not good for you. Illegal, right? Obviously, there are jobs that aren't good. But most jobs are allowable, and most jobs have benefit, not just to you, but benefit even to the community for what you're doing. If you want a great revolution in your life and in the culture, do your work and choose your work according to what is better for the community. That's the first motivation, is that work isn't just for me, it's for everybody. How can I contribute to my culture? You add value to the community. But the second motivation is a little more personal, and it has to do with responding to a calling, a calling that God has given you in your life, Proverbs 22:29. 29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. The Hebrew word for skill, it means gifted. Somebody who has a particular ability or gift. Your skills are not accidents. Your maker is putting you together with the ability to do certain work that other people can't do. And no one's gifts only let them do just one job. There's probably lots of different jobs that you can do, but your gifts are made for you, that you are made by God to do things in a certain way. When you ask what you're calling, what were you born to do? Paul says in Galatians that his calling, the reason he was put in his mother's womb was to give the gospel to the Gentiles. That's ultimately why he was born. If you put your name in there, Galatians chapter one, what are you called to do? Why were you put in your mother's womb? Well, you may not figure that out right away. You probably won't even figure that out till later in life. But wisdom is a path. God doesn't tell you every step that you're going to make. You just put one foot in front of the other and you try to stay wise and stay focused on what God is asking you to do at that moment. And if you don't know what your calling is, if you don't know why you were born, start somewhere, but get right with God and why you work, why you do the things that you are called to do. Begin by knowing that you are gifted by a creator who loves you and you were gifted in order to do something. And if you start things for God's sake, For people's sake, you'll start to realize something. If I'm working, whatever I'm doing, and it's for people's sake, that what I'm doing isn't just for me, but so that other people can benefit. You start to do things for God's sake, based upon how you were made. For people's sake, you'll have a Christian desire to start to do what you're doing, and suddenly you'll start to love your work. Maybe you need to change your work or where you actually have your job, or maybe you're exactly where you need to be and you just need to change your attitude about it. But when your motivations are right, You will seek to find work in the right area that fits you and that benefits others. So many people that I know, they come to me, I used to run a ministry for young adults and they'd come to me and say, I got a new job, really? Tell me about it. And they tell me about this job where they're making a whole lot more money, but they're terrible at it. And I would say, why do you want this new job where you're gonna make more money, but you're gonna be miserable and incompetent? They look at me funny, like that was the goal. See, they misunderstand what work is about. Your work is wherever you're going to be used best by God. The place where you work is how God has designed you to benefit the kingdom of God, wherever he's put you. What is work for? Proverbs 8, one through four, it says, "'Does not wisdom call out? "'Does not understanding raise her voice? "'At the highest point along the way "'where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, to you, O people, I call out, I raise my voice to all mankind. Earlier in the series, we talked about the voice of wisdom being personified. In the city, God's wisdom refuses to stay in the home, but moves into the public squares. It calls out, it goes to the gates, where the justice system is. Wisdom insists on being heard in the justice system. It talks about here where the paths meet. This is where the streets go. It means the marketplaces, the places of commerce. Wisdom insists on being heard in the business realm, on the heights, in the hills. These are the high places which represented a view of what the people worshiped or what they thought was the most important. It used to be, maybe we don't think of it this way, but maybe it still is the same. Many cultures do think of it this way today. It used to be that the highest places in your town is where you would put the thing where you, that showed how you worship. So if you go to Greece, you'll find the Parthenon on the Acropolis, it's up high. People would have to look up and they would see it wherever they were. And basically you show what you think life is really about by your highest structures in a culture. The highest buildings in our culture used to be church spires. That's why those really old churches have those huge spires and they're just so high, Those big old cathedrals. It's because we actually thought that faith was the most important thing behind us. But now it's office buildings, it's, people, it's places where people make profits. And this is our narrative, financial profit becomes the only bottom line for so much in our culture. And you know what? There's a lot of talk today about community service and a lot of people talking about that and and trying to do different things, but even that can be motivated by just creating an image for oneself to go on a resume and then it becomes very self-serving. Social media postings and hashtags, they might let people know what team you're rooting for, but it doesn't really mean you're on any team in particular. It's just about the way people might view you. I mean, how many of these hashtags that we put out for various things actually result in huge change or we just move on to the next thing? We have to really examine why it is that we work, why it is that we are designed to do things. Jesus came into the world, a selfish world to bring wisdom into it and he demonstrates and he cares. And God's wisdom isn't just for us, it's for others in your life. And when you grow as a wise person, when you are on the the path of wisdom, it doesn't just affect you in your life, it affects all of the people who are with you in this life, who are affected by the choices that you make, who are affected in the benefit when you make a wise choice and who are harmed if you make an unwise choice. See, the work that we do, it matters. The idea is this, that when you understand your work and your purpose, you understand what matters is your need to fit within God's purpose and your work becomes for God, not for profit. Now you might profit, you might have a job where you're making a whole lot of money. And you know what, if you do, you know what? that's great, but what motivates you then? What do you do with it? Are, is your profit and riches for community and purpose, or is it for your own comfort and security? Whatever that is, that's gonna determine how you spend your money and what you do with it. We have to balance profit with human condition. Would you take a hit on your profits in order to help others and benefit others? So what do we do now? We have to redeem our work. We can talk about work all the time and the glory of it in the scriptures and, and all of these things, but there's something that sounds very idealistic about that, right? Not necessarily realistic. Work is difficult. We are not in the garden now. Our work has been cursed in so many ways. The glory of work gets messed up today. Things go wrong all the time. Just when you finally have your team together, people quit or move away. Just as you finally know what you're doing, you run out of money. Just as you finally are wise enough, you're too old to do anything with that wisdom. Just as you think you have it all figured out, COVID-19 hits and you have to start all over. Often we start off idealistically, but what happens as we get older, we become disillusioned. And that's something that we have to fight against And if we understand what work is for, we won't become disillusioned. But if work is just for us, for our own benefit, it's not for other things. We're gonna be disillusioned because not everything is going to work out. The circumstances are outside of our control. And what happens over time when we get disillusioned is it leads some people to corruption, but it leads most people to just sort of disconnect from what their work was about, from the passion that they used to have, the reason that they started doing what they're doing. And we lose hope that we can actually pull off something great And so we stop trying. We have to be ready for that and push through it when it comes to us in our life, in our work life. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Notice here that it doesn't say the path of the diligent is a highway. It says the path of the upright. And this is a vital distinction if we're going to understand the value and purpose of our work. Because even if you are diligent in your work, sometimes the thorns get in the way and it doesn't work out. Why is the highway there for the upright? In Genesis, cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles are going to grow up after the fall. Why does work never seem to work? Because there are going to be thorns. And you know what, to get on the highway, this highway of the upright, you have to be wise and you have to take a look at the map and refocus. If you're discouraged, if you're discontented, if you just don't even know where you're going, take a look at the roadmap, take a look at wisdom, what the scriptures say about your life and who you are and how you were made and why you were made and get back on that purpose, it will change you. In Galatians 3, 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You know, when Jesus was crucified, they pounded thorns into his skull. They pounded the curse right into him. The curse fell on Jesus. This curse of the thorns, the things that get in the way of the work that you wanna do, the things that make it difficult sometimes to accomplish the things that you really want to accomplish. That curse was pounded into Jesus's head and he died for it. And he took the way that we deserved. He took the way of death. And the interesting thing is if you look at Jesus just from a human standpoint, the people cursed his work at that point. He was only 33, right at the point when he should have been elevated right into whatever career position that would take somebody. Instead, he was put to death and his work was cursed by the people. And they drove into the ground, all the things that it seemed like he was about, and they trampled his work, all the things that he seemed to be. But you see, this is the solution. How can you keep working when your hopes get dashed so much? It's because Jesus kept working. Because of the resurrection, we find out something. We find out that the struggle is not the end game, that the struggle is part of the condition that we live in now, but the end game is redemption. Redemption is the prize that you are working for. Redemption is the prize that has already been accomplished by Jesus, and he's proven that by his resurrection. See, the end game for Jesus was not to be remembered because he was a great teacher and a great philosopher and all those things. The end game for Jesus was to save sinners. The end game for Jesus was to be remembered as the savior of the world, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who will come back and reign one day and bring you and me into his kingdom by grace because we have faith. See, the end game for Jesus and his work was not so that he could build a resume. He already had the resume for who he was and he accomplished everything through his death and resurrection. And you are given the ability in this life to have that same hope, to realize that the end game is not to die with a great resume or a big house or a nice car or those kinds of things. The end game is your redemption and the redemption of the people that God has placed in your life for you to demonstrate and announce the gospel to wherever God places you. See, your work is about them. Your work is about the kingdom of God. Your gifting is about the kingdom of God and the building up of the church so it can benefit the community so that they see the glory of the Savior Jesus Christ and what he did by taking the curse upon himself so that we have redemption and everlasting life. See, when we realize that redemption is the prize and it's what we're working toward, not because we have to earn it, but because it's what our our work becomes about, We realize something and we get hope and we get rest and we have a much better way of living. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we're called to work for Jesus. Whatever our job is, our actual person that we're working for is Jesus. Is it a vacation working for Jesus? No. There's work to do. He says, take my yoke. He's saying, work for me. Put my yoke upon you. But he's also saying, I'm the only boss that won't drive you into the ground. It won't be a curse to you. Work upright and be diligent, but also work wise. See, in wise work, it also includes rest. Rest. It includes trusting God for the outcomes of things, trusting Him in the uncertainties and the changes that are going to come, the things that are outside of our control, but they are totally in His control. We need to trust Him for that. Right now, things are so uncertain and so many people I know, so many of you are worried about your job or even your career. So many people, your careers are just gone all of a sudden because of COVID-19. But see, when we work for Jesus, really our jobs and careers haven't ended. We still work for the same boss. We just might have to do it in a different place in a different way than we expected, but our gifting is still the same. Who we are in Christ is still the same. Our purpose and responsibility with the gospel is the same. You see, when you work for Jesus, the uncertainties that come your way, they, are, they become much smaller and much less relevant because you know that, that Jesus is still your boss, that you are working with him and his yoke is not difficult. When you work for Jesus, you realize that you can be diligent with honor with whatever you're doing, working for Jesus. You never stop that, you never stop thinking about that. And it's always about other people in the kingdom of God. You see, at your job, the reason you work where you work or the reason you volunteer where you volunteer or the reason you work in your home or whatever it is that you do, it has something to do with other people and God placing you there on purpose. Your oikos, I like to use that word, it's a word that means your household, your relational world. It's typically the people that you go to work with, the people that you're in class with, the people that you live with, your next door neighbors, the people that you interact with. When you redeem your work, you don't just clock out and you go home. You're still about those people. You see what happens is that woman that you work with who's sitting at the well, you go and you sit with her and you talk with her. You don't just go home and pray from afar that someone will come and sit with her. You do that. And that guy that you work with who nobody really likes and who's climbed the tree, you go eat at Zacchaeus' home. You go to his house when he invites you and you become his friend. See, there's a lot more to the people that you work with or you go to school with or that you interact with when you work for Jesus. You don't just pray that they get some friends, you're the friend and you love them. And you realize that the reason you have this job is so that you can be with that person so that they might know Jesus through you. You see, when you work for Jesus, you are in the ministry, ministry to people when you're doing your work with diligence and with honor and with glory, Jesus is gonna get the glory for that. Some takeaways for us today. The first one is this, work for Jesus and don't work for anybody else. Proverbs sixteen three: commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. This is the healthy way to do any work. You commit it to the Lord and he will establish your plans. It doesn't mean that your plans are gonna be established if I just commit them to Jesus. Here's what I wanna do, so Jesus, I'm committing it to you, make it work. It means that if you've committed your work to Jesus, your work will be used by Jesus for his plans, and you will be successful if you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. This is the healthy way to do any work. And when you do that, when you're working for Jesus, you will make better decisions about balancing family time with work, for example. You'll make better decisions about when to finish work and go home, when to trust the Lord, when to make sure that you realize and just in your heart realize that the final work, redemption has already been done by Jesus. You just need to do the best that you can. Secondly, work motivated for the community. Be concerned about the community and purpose. You can do that when you work for Jesus. When you stand before him one day, he's not gonna ask you for your resume or your transcripts and your degree. He's gonna wanna know how did you treat people What was the motivation of your heart in doing what you did? Did you look out for your neighbor? Were you concerned about these people that you worked with? When you work for Jesus, these people become your concern and you begin to love your work and be diligent in your work with honor and glorify Christ. The church ought to have a reputation in our culture and in the world. It ought to be like this. People should want to hire the Christian, even if they're not Christians. But the reputation of the church should be such that I wanna hire a Christian. I don't know about their Jesus. I'm not too sure about it, but those Christians, they don't steal. They're not gonna rob from me. And I wanna hire those Christians because they show up on time and they get their work done because they take a vacation when they need to and they get the rest and they actually do the job they're called to do here. I wanna hire those Christians because they work honestly. You see, what a great testimony that is. Or what if you're the employer? Perhaps you should want to work for, or you wanna work for a Christian. This should be the culture. The culture says, I don't know about the faith necessarily, but I sure do wanna work for that guy who's a Christian or that woman who runs that Christian company over there because their wages will be fair, because the company will care about employees in the community and there's value to what's going on because there's a consideration there of family and faith and the things that are actually most important. See, this should be the business reputation of the church. This is the reputation that Christians need to have in our culture and when we have it, our work, whatever it is, becomes part of our testimony our everyday purpose, putting the gospel in every single thing we do. So making a living isn't just about making a living, that everything we do, whether we're getting paid or not, whether it's a hobby or we're volunteering somewhere, that it's meant to glorify the Lord with the gifts that he has given us, by being used in the way that God wants us to be used to the benefit of others so that people will know Christ. Jesus came to save sinners. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be concerned about everybody who we work with, go to school with, live with, live next door to, all of those people. And a great way to have a great testimony is to have a Christian understanding of work, to understand the the glory of work and how great it is to get things done in the name of Jesus Christ and to work for Him. I wanna encourage you to make sure that your view of work is that you work for Jesus, to make sure that whatever you have going on in your life that it isn't just about salary or making things or making a name for yourself, but instead that it's about making a name for Jesus. Because the redemption, the prize for your work, it's already been done by Jesus on the cross. It's been done. That is your glory, that is your hope, that is your rest. And that is something that you have if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you. If you've got questions about these things, I'd love to talk with you. I'll meet with you over Zoom or we can talk about things uh, at a socially distanced coffee shop or whatever it is that works for you. And uh, just contact me here at the church and I'd love to get to, to meet you and tell you more about Jesus Christ and how you can work for him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and for the wisdom that we have from this great book of Proverbs. God, I pray that as we look at this, that we would recognize that we work for you, that whatever it is that we're doing help us to work for you and not for anybody else. Help us to put our confidence in you, that our work would be redeemed, that we would realize that it's not just for us, but it's for others to your glory. God, I pray that we would be motivated as people for the community, motivated to work according to the way you've gifted us, not for ourselves or even just for the benefit of our own community, our own country but so that people will see the glory of Jesus Christ through us and our service of one another the same way you served us. And I pray, Lord, in our work, we would be diligent, we would do it with honor, and that in everything we do, we would seek to glorify you. We thank you for our time together this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GraceCitySD.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.